So we're continuing our series here um, about God's kingdom. So if you want to turn to me to Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 20, and it can be found on page 20 in the second half of your Bibles in the Gospels, page 20. But handy, page 20, and we're looking at chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with his laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into my vineyard and I will pay you Whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing around here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them, also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and scorching heat. But he replied to them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last the same I give to you. I'm not, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? For the last will be first, and the first will be last. While Jesus was going up Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside side by themselves he said to them on the way see we are going to Jerusalem and the son of man will be handed over the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death one thing that really frustrates me and really angers me is the um the gender gap of pay between men and women. I don't know if you're aware, it, the gender pay gap is 8% per hour. Women are paid less by 8%. It equates to 51 days of a year that women are working for free compared to men. It's absolutely outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. And um, the Church of England, unfortunately, don't fare any better, actually. 
Um, Churchmen don't fare any better. Over, um, there's about 358 um, senior leaders in the Church of England. 358 senior leaders. And out of 358 senior leaders in the Church of England, only 39 of those are women. That's shocking. And the tide is changing. Of course, with um, Bishop Sarah, appointed Bishop of London, um, things are beginning to change, but it's a long way to go. Those who were with us at Focus, it was brilliant on kind of the final day of Focus, um, HCB churches sent out all these churches to go and plant a part of the vision of um, HDB is the revitalization and transformation of our nation. And it was amazing just to kind of lay hands and to pray for those who are going out to plant churches all across our nation here. But not one of those was a woman. Not a single one of those was a woman who was being the main lead and to my knowledge, you might be able to tell me differently, to my awareness, there's never been a woman leading a church plant from the HTB network. And you might be able to tell me differently to that. And my prayer for us as a church, I pray for you here, that within this congregation here, that there will be women who will be leading the future of our church and planting churches across our nation. And I know here that you actually have women in leadership and amazingly good leaders Jess is one of them. And I'd love to see Jess. I know she's not here tonight. But I'd love to see her planting a church. I'd love to see my wife planting a church. We don't see pay equality in our parable today. I don't actually think this is a very good one for talking about pay equality. On first glance, in our parable, in our reading from Matthew, we see quite a, a foolish and unfair landowner. Now, I used to work in retail, right? So I used to have to manage the hours for the store. And I had to make sure I didn't overspend how many hours I had, so I didn't get too many staff in per day. I had to also make sure that we had enough, and that we had enough staff to be able to cover us. And so I'd go through my week and work out how, how busy I think the week's going to be and who do I need at those times. And we see a foolish lando, landowner in this evening's reading. He didn't really think about, did he? He went out five times. He wouldn't be particularly good on the apprentice. We're not seeing good management skills here done at all. He doesn't know what he's doing. He had to go out five times to be able to staff his vineyard. And we see, at first glance, an unfair vineyard, um, unfair landowner. We see unfairness because he doesn't he, he, he gets them out. The people who've been working since six o'clock in the morning through to six o'clock in the evening. They're paid the same as someone who just rocks up at five o'clock. I don't know what you can exactly do if you're just there for an hour. He probably just got hold of his, his tools and got set on his work, but he wasn't there long enough to do anything. And I don't know about you, but if you turned up to work tomorrow morning, you'd do it a full day's work, and then someone just decided to rock up 
at the end of the day, just thought they could just rock up at the end of the day and get the same amount of pay as you. I'd feel pretty grieved myself. And not only is that, but he then rubs it in their face. We read that, that he pays the last first. So those who have been waiting there all day, those who have been working there from 6 o'clock in the morning could see that those who just got there at 5 o'clock in the evening, they could see that they're being paid exactly the same. So he's seen as being unfair, foolish. And caring even. But as we read and as we discover and as we delve into this reading tonight, we discover that actually this reading isn't about really bad business acronym. It's not about really um, none of this. It wants to teach us about God's kingdom. So let us unpack this tonight. And so I know we've done lots of prayers, but I'm going to pray um, over you as we just unpack this um, scripture tonight as we think about God's kingdom. So let us pray. Father, as we delve into your word this evening, as we think about your kingdom, we ask that you speak to us, be very clear to us what you want to say to us today. Come and be present among us. Amen. So can I ask you just to have your Bible with you and we're going to just unpack and have a sense about what is, what is God trying to say to us through this parable tonight? As we know, this isn't about a landowner who's not particularly good at business. It's all about God's kingdom. And every time we kind of unpack a little thing, it tells us a bit more about what God's kingdom is and what God's kingdom is about. So what kicks it all off? Well, what thing kicks most things off? Money. And um, we have this, that they've been given a day's pay. Now that equates to a denarius. A day's pay. And that was a, actually that was quite a decent pay in those times. It was a bit above average of, of payment for a day's wage. It was the same amount of money that a soldier would be given in those times. Um, it was enough for you to be able to feed yourself, maybe have a bit of wine. Um, it wasn't enough to feed a whole family. But it was enough for you to be able to feed and clothe yourself and look after yourself um, for that. So, was the landowner unfair? Well, Denarius, as I said, was a pretty fair amount. And if you look at um, the beginning, you'll see that he sets out a contract with the first, um, the first workers on the vineyard on the day. After agreeing with the laborers for a usual daily wage, so they knew what they were getting. They knew that they were going to get. And actually, what they were getting was a decent amount of money for a day's work. So he had agreed it. It's been a contract he made between them. And now if you notice in verse 4, when he goes to approach the others, he doesn't have a contract with them. They are absolute mercy of the landowner. 
you will also go into the vineyard, and I shall pay you whatever is right. So there's no set agreement between him and those workers. They're an absolute mercy of the landowner. And of course, what the money really refers to is our salvation, our eternal life, the salvation that we have received. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian your whole life or you've just been a Christian for five minutes. That same salvation is the same. We have Paul in Ephesians writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. What we're talking about is salvation. It's not something that we can acquire ourselves, but it's something that's already been freely given to us by Jesus dying on the cross for us. And we'll see here that at the beginning with the first um, workers, the landowner sets a covenant, a contract with them. And he's talking about, of course, he's talking to the Jewish people. And God is all about covenant relationships. There's been covenant with God and God's people from the beginning of time, from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses to the whole of Israel. Covenant with Adam and Moses and Israel were conditional. They're marked by these words, and you will know them. Maybe you can utter back to me. And their covenant was marked by condition. If you obey me, do you know what it says? If you obey me, keep my commandments. So that was what the condition was between God and God's people. Man's obedience was required to keep the commandments, required to keep a covenant. But here we see something different. We see a, a covenant without conditions. It is a covenant of grace. There's nothing that we can do to separate us from God's love. There's nothing that we can do to separate us from God's grace. Wasn't it really strange, though, that he kept having to come back lots of times? He, he came to them five times. You think, as I said, you think he would have worked out at the beginning of the day what work needed to be done, right? We need these vines cut. We need to take these, um, these grapes. I need this land cleared. But he kept coming back, didn't he? He kept coming back and asking for more laborers. He didn't really think it out. My dad is also a vicar. So it kind of runs in the family. And when I was a child, we lived in a vicarage, and the vicarage was next door to the church. And often would have people knocking on the door, asking for money. And my dad, I don't know if you're in that position where you don't really know what to do. You don't know to give money. You don't know whether just to give foods. You, you kind of don't, don't really know what to do in those situations. And my father wanted to do the right thing. My father wanted to do the right thing. And so what he would say to someone is, well, would you be willing to cut the grass? 
Would you be willing to, uh, to trim the hedge? Would you be willing to, to kind of help with the garden? And so um, someone would come in and they would then, I remember this quite, quite sharply because I was normally the person who cut the grass. So when my dad offered it to someone, I knew I wasn't going to get my pocket money that week. And I was a little bit, Argh. But it was my way of my father to, sh- to do the right thing. It was the kind thing, but what my father wasn't interested in doing was the kind thing. He wanted to do the right thing by those people. He wanted to do the right thing by them so that they would have a sense of achievement, of earning, of satisfaction, the fact that they had earned that money by themselves. And this is what God is. God's righteous. God is righteous. Now, on first glance, the other laborers, they were pretty idle, weren't they? They were just standing around, and we just kind of, they were a bit idle waiting there. They were just idle, it says. They were just waiting around. You're kind of, and you're back in your mind, you're thinking, why didn't they not just go out and work? Why were they just standing there idle? Why, why were they still there by five o'clock looking for work? And sometimes we have that hardness of heart, don't we? When we see someone who's on the streets, who's begging for money, in the back of our mind somewhere, the hardness of heart goes in saying, well, why are they not working? Why are they not doing something? Instead of just being on the streets, why are they not doing something with their time to earn some money? Why are they not doing something productive? But actually, as you see here in our reading this evening, the parable, it's not the case. They're not scroungers. It's not their fault. They had never been given an opportunity to work. They stood there day in, day out, waiting for an opportunity. They'd never been given a chance at this point. And they were given an opportunity. My dad didn't need the grass cut for a second time that week. My dad didn't need it to be cut. But what he wanted to do was to give those knocking at my door an opportunity. And actually we see here the needs aren't about the landowner. The needs aren't anything. We don't actually have anything about the landowner's needs. The needs are all about those who are standing there waiting for a job. It's not about us. God's love for us. God doesn't exist for us. God needs, he sees our needs and he responds. So the direction of the needs is pointed differently. Instead of thinking about the needs of the landowner, the needs are directed towards those who are most in need, the laborers. And this gives us an image of who God is. When uh, people come knocking at our door, um, my dad would never ask to see the the skills, what someone would come, you know, he would invite them to come and cut the grass, but he didn't say, can I have your CV, have you got any horticultural skills, 
What is, what is your gardening skills like? When did you last do this? My dad just asks, are you willing? And it's the same here in our parable. The landowner didn't ask about seeing the CV, the experience, the expertise. He just asked, are you willing? Um, my first retail, well, my first attempt at getting a retail job when I was 17. And I had this real desire to work for Disney. I love uh, Disney, and I thought, what an amazing thing that would be to work in a Disney store um, and be selling toys and engaging with customers. That'd be brilliant. The only problem thing is, is that I know very little about Disney. Actually, I know very few films. I probably know a handful of films and a handful of characters. But I had in my mind how amazing this job would be. And I got to the interview and I made a complete, utter fool of myself. Because they asked me questions like, who's your favorite character or what's the best five films? I couldn't tell them. They asked me, what's the ethos of Disney? And I couldn't tell them. With God, there is nothing, there is no skills, no abilities that God desires us to have. The only thing that God desires us of is that we say yes to God. That's the only thing that God requires us to say. Not about our CV, not about our abilities, not what we can do, not the most amazing preacher we are or a worship pastor we are, the only thing that is required is that we say yes. That we say yes. Now some of you may come here tonight who've never really said yes fully to God. Maybe you're dipping your toe in the water. Maybe you've never really in your heart said yes to God. Can I encourage you tonight this might be an opportunity for you to say yes to God, to fully give your life to God. Because when we say yes to God, God gives us a purpose. God gives us a purpose. And we see that these, those standing there, the laborers standing there, when they said, yes, I want to come and help you on the vineyard, they're given a purpose, an identity. They became part of the vineyard. We're aware often without purpose, we can feel quite aimless. And that's when we don't have a purpose, we can struggle with depression. We can have a sense of our identity, who we are. But when we say yes to God, we're given a purpose by God. It doesn't matter how big or small that is. We're given a purpose. My question for you, one of my questions for you tonight is, what is your purpose? What is the thing that God is calling you to do? What's your purpose? What's your purpose? What is your purpose? Exciting. Because when we're given a purpose, 
we become parts of the mission of God. God begins to do exciting things with us. We are all welcome to enter into God's kingdom. We are all welcome to join the vineyard, to get to work. However, in our parable, we know that the work day comes to an end. Comes to an end at 6 p.m. We live in a time when the vineyard is still open, but there is a closing time. All receive a place in God's kingdom, but not all will accept. All have received the same amount of that salvation, that grace. But not all will accept. And in our parable, we see that even those who have received grumble, they compare, they see their fellow colleagues and see that they've been given the same. Instead of rejoicing, instead of saying, yes, they can feed themselves. They grumble. They grumble to the landowner. Why do they get the same? When I've been here all day, we see this. Reflect something of ourselves. I don't know about you, but if you've ever had the experience of being with someone who comes to faith, it's the most amazing thing to see, to see someone just lifted up inside, and you just see this transformation, just this glowingness inside them as they're just filled with the Holy Spirit, and they just come alive, and you just see the transformation just right in front of you, and it just, it just excites, doesn't it? But sometimes when that happens, there's an inner part of us that feels a little bit jealous. Why them? Why have they got this huge excitement? I've been following Jesus my whole entire life and I've never received experience like they've just received right now. And a part of us gets a little bit jealous. Instead of celebrating, times we can go, well, why them? Why this experience? We see here that the, um, the workers got too caught up in themselves, didn't they? They started comparing themselves with those who had come here later in the day. They forgot what an amazing privilege it was just to be paid, to be paid a fair amount. They had forgotten their owner's grace. And they become inward. And we see that about ourselves at times. And we ourselves are so close to those points where we compare ourselves to others. It's on our phones, isn't it? Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, whatever. On all the social media we do, it's on our fingertips, that comparison. It's with others. 
It's at our fingertips. We see friends who go off on holiday all over the world where we struggle to even go on holiday once. We see a friend engagement photos and we're struggling just to even meet someone. We see someone just having a pair of keys where they're showing they just bought their first home where we're struggling just to even paying our rent. We see friends who have babies and we're struggling to conceive. We compare ourselves continually with those around us. And when we compare ourselves to other people, we devalue the grace that we have received by God. That's what happens when we compare ourselves. We forget what we've already received. We're like those laborers who are angry, who are, who are really frustrated, who get too caught up in themselves. And so in a few moments, I'm gonna, we're going to invite people forward. And one of those invites is, if this is something you're particularly struggling with, we're going to invite you to come forward. I would love to pray with you. We are people of God's kingdom. God's generosity has been poured out upon us. We have received the grace of God. Our Father in heaven just wants to say yes. That's all we need to do is say yes. And when we say yes, we receive a purpose. And we become heirs of our heavenly kingdom. Shall I pray? And then we're going to invite people to come forward. Father, we thank you for the grace that we have received in you. Thank you that there is nothing we can do to separate us from your love, from your unconditional love. We thank you that you died for us, that you poured your love out on a cross for us, that we may be saved. Lord, may we never forget what we have received from you. And Lord, give us a sense of the purpose that you have called us. Lord, help us not to compare ourselves with others, but to know the identity that we have in you, sons and daughters of the living Lord. We ask this in your name.